Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here for your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting, informative episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens, and I am glad you've taken time out of your Tuesday evening. Uh, good evening, Bill Nathan, and I want to thank those who will be the program this evening. Again, this is a interactive program. We are looking forward to your interaction. We are counting on it. Pastor Murphy, as we start out the program tonight, the Bible has the answer to every question we have in life. I believe that every uh, problem that has to do with life and godliness, the Bible provides the answer. And I, I'm saying that not because it's uh, parroting something that I, I just come up with. The, the Bible makes that declaration in the book of Peter that God has given to us all that pertains to life and godliness. So if we have a problem that relates to this life, the pursuit of godliness, I believe there's some biblical principle that you'll find in Scripture will help us to know how to meander away and deal with the issue. One of our goals here on That's Truth is to be as practical as possible. And one of the best ways that I can think of to do that is to discuss topics that are on your mind, on your heart, that are consuming your time as you think about them. And tonight's topic is one that was suggested by a listener maybe a month ago or so. And we are excited to be discussing this topic with you tonight. It's the topic of narcissism. Pastor, let's start out by defining that term. That's not necessarily a term that most of us use in our everyday life. Yeah. Um, Basically, in layman's language, I would uh, define a narcissist as a person who has an inflated sense of self-importance. I think that would be especially a self-centered person. Uh, the Mayo Clinic in America has defined it uh, as a mental need for excessive attention and ad- admiration and uh, seem to lack empathy with others. So it, it sounds very sophisticated in terms of definition, but basically we're talking about somebody whose life, uh, the whole world revolves around them, they're the sun and all the planets revolve around them. That is the essence of what uh, a narcissist is. Everything is about himself and um, everything is geared towards himself. Even when he's kind, the ultimate goal is not the other person. The, the description you were giving <laughs> is... <laughs> it's interesting you should mention that because one of the persons who have done a great deal of study in this matter uh, says one way that you can begin to deal with narcissism is to treat them as though they're two-year-old because they're that selfish. Is that mean? I mean, every two-year, three-year-old, every word, the world is about them. Narcissus has not grown out of that. And in a lot of cases, it, it, it probably has, as people suggest, that uh, it has to do with his way. So when he comes in life, the whole thing's up, the word is about him. Uh, on the other hand, is that he'll allow him to be so mean uh, 
that no matter what he does, there are no consequences. So he goes up in life believing he could do anything to anybody, and there are no consequences. So there's a lot of it, a um, lot of those who study the, 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 the issue, I believe a lot has to do with the parental part of it. And that's why they refer to the environmental factors, referring to that is described as narcissistic? Well, I think to some extent all of us are narcissistic. All of us got selfish ways because that's how we were born. We have a sinful nature, and however you look at it, we, we are not people who are obsessed to want to get everything our way. But there's no question about it that it is a narcissistic streak in everybody, so it's not something that is uh, unique. It's just that it is so amplified in this person that they haven't learned uh, to balance their life in that respect. Now, the term narcissism, I mentioned, is not a term that I would normally use in my everyday life. Is that something that's a modern term, or can you give me some history, some perspective? Well, the word nar- narcissism comes from Narcissus, who was, it comes from Greek mythology. Narcissus was an incredibly handsome and beautiful man. Uh, he was almost the epitome of beauty. And people were obsessed with him and uh, and his appearance. Women uh, tried to endear themselves to him, and uh, he would neglect them, and they would even murder themselves because he wouldn't pay them attention. And then Nemesis, a man, uh, you know, Nemesis is always the person who takes revenge. Nemesis is supposed to have alerted him to a pool of water and encourage him to look into the water. And when he looked into the water, he saw his reflection, and he became enamored with himself. As a matter of fact, he became so obsessed with his own beauty that he stayed there and would not move and died looking at himself. So that's where this particular term has now been used to apply to the individual who is so selfish and so self-centered. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.38. I'm glad that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening to listen to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It is an interactive live call-in program, and if you would like to be put live on the air to ask your question about any topic and have it answered from a biblical worldview, you can call one 268 462-7420. You won't have to wait because there's no one else on the line for you to wait for. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 782 1454 If you are holding back and a little hesitant in asking your question, let me just remind you, we are not here to argue, to belittle. We are here to hear your question and to answer it from a biblical worldview. So don't be hesitant thinking, are they going to mock me on the air? That's not our goal. That is not our intention, and we won't do that. Thank you for listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are talking tonight about the narcissist, the person that is all about themselves. So, Pastor, what is meant by the phrase narcissistic personality disorder? Well, as you know, every uh, almost every sin, every problem that people have, uh, the psychological society has tried to define it and then come up with certain characteristics that's supposed to mark this uh, particular pattern that this person is involved in. And so when you hear about uh, narcissistic um, personality disorder, 
uh, urelia is found within the DSM, which is Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Psychology. It's almost like the Webster Dictionary of Psychology, where every problem, basically, that man faces today is actually somehow defined in that book. And then, of course, the characteristics are used. So when they talk about uh, a personality disorder within the context of the, uh, the DSM manual, uh, it describes a pattern of abnormal behavior that a person refuses to change, even though it's disrupting uh, relationships. So that is basically what I mean by a disorder. It is it's some kind of a abnormal behavior that a person demonstrates. But in spite of the fact that the behavior is affecting their relationships, they have no intention and seem to have no intention to change. So they label that a disorder. Now the Bible will label that a sin. But uh, sin is not a popular word today, and that is why um, people get away with so much, because if it's not sin uh, and it's a disorder, it means it can be treated chemically or treated medically in some fashion or form. And that is one of the great tragedies of psychology in trying to make you believe that everything is, you're sick, basically, and you either have a chemical imbalance or something wrong with you, but we can fix it and we can dispense pills. So we become a a pill-gobbling society that every problem we got, uh, we turn to them for a pill. Uh, It is tragic that we've reached this stage, but that's the exact way we are in society today. Pastor, we have a caller from Montserrat. Uh, Thank you for calling. Go ahead with your question, please. Good night, Brother Ned. Yes, good night. Thank you for calling. What can we do for you? Um, good night, Pastor Murphy. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? Not too bad. Um, last week, near, near to the end of the program, uh-huh. um, the word replenish. Oh, yeah. You said that, um, like bad translation. Yeah, what's it? What was it? What was the verse again? You gave it to be yeah, Genesis. No, 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 no. Somebody text anything from Angela. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then you said that one of your members show you that. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, one chance, anyway, on translation, they want error all time day. Yeah, I was looking for the verse. Now, if you find the verse, I will give you the answer for it. But I can't. Uh, I know. Well, um, I think I'm more than one. I, I like um, that. Don't you know, be, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Uh, I'm looking. Um, I'm looking for the exact verse. Yeah, I know. I know it's in Genesis, but if I say the verse, I would give you the answer right now because I'll give you the the exact word. Oh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. And the Lord blessed them and said, "Be fruitful and multiply and replenish." The word really there is to fill, fill. That's what the word really means to fill, not really to replenish. Okay, so you said that you said that in a day. Um, okay. You said, like, okay, you, last week you said that um, the, the, your member tell you that, like, life, life would have to be before. Life would have to be before what? No, that, that, that um, when the text are texting, you said that, um, that, you when you member show you uh-huh. life would have to life would for, for, for use the word replenish life would have to right yeah that, that that's what he was trying to say that it indicated to him that you're replenishing what was already there but when you go into the hebrew language and you check the hebrew word the word is actually to fill it's not to replenish that's what i'm trying to say to say to you so you can actually check it yourself you check if you've got a, a strong's concordance or young's concordance 
or you've got a Hebrew lexicon, if you go in and check the word in the in the English language and then connect that to the word in Strong's Concordance, what happened in the Strong's Concordance? They're normally numbered. So once you find a word that the word replenished, for example, you go into the Strong's Concordance or the Young's Concordance, it'll give you a word to the back that'll take you to the Hebrew word and give you the origin of that word and the meaning of that word. So that's why sometimes you need to clarify uh, words that are used. Because remember, the English has changed over the years. Uh, the King James was written in 1611. A lot of those words are still there. Even in the New Testament, some of those words are very unfortunate. And sometimes people don't understand it because they see that word and they interpret it with the meaning to there, but meaning changes. And that is why there's always a need to upgrade uh, a, script, a Bible and replace it with a modern word so that people have clarity. I should not have to run to a, a concordance every time I find a word I don't fully understand. That's not the intention of the Bible. I shouldn't have to depend on that. I should have a Bible in my hand where I understand in, my, in, in modern English what that verse is teaching. For example, there are times in the Old Testament where they talk a woman wearing a tire. T-Y-R-E. Now, I know a tire is something on a vehicle, <laughs> but that word meant, uh, it really is a, it's like a chain around the neck, but that word meant at that time, uh, it meant something different. So that's why I'm saying there are times when you need to um, upgrade. This. When I say upgrade the scriptures, I don't mean that. I just mean take words that people understand and replace those archaic words with modern words so that the average person can understand. You, you ever read Shakespeare yet? I mean, when you read Shakespeare, uh, you, there's so many th things in Shakespeare I don't even understand when I'm reading Shakespeare. So they always have some kind of a, a glossary of terms that uh, you go to so that you understand what he's saying. That's the same language that the, in which the King James Version was written into, 1611. So that's why sometimes when there's a misunderstanding, you need to go to the, either the Greek or the, New, or, the, or the Hebrew to find out exactly what does this word mean and what's the origin of that word. And it helps clarify a lot of issues that people have problems with. Yes, but um, Pastor Murphy, to be truthful, I really see nothing wrong with it. Well, it's something wrong with it in the sense that if you look at creation, he's saying, uh, I mean, he, this is the first, uh, the six days of creation, basically. Uh, so there's no need to, if it's not a problem for you, don't make it a problem. But what I'm saying for some people, it does seem a problem because they're saying if he says replenish, it means that something was there, died before, and now it's being replenished. But there's no death before sin entered the world. That's the point. That's why it's so significant to make sure the word is correct. There was no death before sin entered the world. Sin is what brought about death. And that's why it's important to get clarity on it. But if it's not a problem for you, I would never make it a problem, honestly. So if you're satisfied with it, don't let it, if it doesn't bother you, don't let it bother you. It's just that people come to find all kinds of reasons for not believing the Bible and try to undermine the integrity of Scripture. Well, that, 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 you see the part that you just said just now, uh, that the homie read it. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Right. Look, God's Word, it, God's okay, Word. So, let me just say this here. Sure, sure. If, if whosoever got a problem with that. Uh-huh. And let me say that they made Adam, so they made the first of man. Uh -huh. And God me said that they to them, what they would do? Yeah, I, I look. I'm sympathetic with what you're saying. I take that view as well. The Bible is the word, the word of God. But the problem with this is that sometimes okay. there's something called apologetics, and you're trying to reach the unsafe person. And if you can give him an explanation and an answer. <laughs> Me, me got some scriptures also, but me believe me me up on the same page. So, uh -huh. um, me not go going further because okay, brother. Me me got me, me got couple couple things to bring to light. Okay, okay. Like 
God ways is not your ways. His thought is not your thought. Correct. Um, his word are spirit and life. Right, right. And before the foundation, now let me even take out the word foundation. Before the earth, the lamb was slain. Correct. So God see, and you know, okay, well, this year, this year, no, we can't really preach this on the Bible, but we hear plenty of preachers say that God finished the work before he even starts. Yeah, well, well in his, God knew the beginning and the end from the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. So then, and therefore, me not really see nothing not wrong, 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 with the, um, wrong with the word. Okay, okay, buddy. Well, we are the same look, we have lamb. God bless you. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much for your call. We appreciate you listening from Montserrat and continue to encourage others to tune in to That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Pastor Murphy, anything else you want to say about the uh, narcissistic personality disorder? No, I just think, I just wanted to um, clarify that, you know, the way it's defined, I gave the diagnostic um, definition of it. And I think sometimes I, I did that mainly because there may be people listening who um, they're not complete biblicists. They they have different views of the Bible, etc. And when we speak to issues, it's not because we don't know what is being taught or what the position is. But that doesn't change our our conception of what the problem is. But we just want you people to know that we, we are informed of what the definition is and, and what the psychologists say. But psychology is antithetical to Christianity in many, many, many ways. And that's why we need to make some clarity on these matters. Is it possible for a Christian to study psychology and to be in the field? I think it's possible, but I think that they should carry the Christian principles with them. And I think, the, look, like any other science, if it is about observation, because I don't have time to sit down and watch a two-year-old, but there are people who look at a two-year-old and study a two-year-old for the two, for, for whole time of his life, seven, seven two-year-old, and then three-year-old. So they get information that you and I would not, even if as a, as a mother or as a father, sorry, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't have the patience to really observe and sit and watch them play and see what they do. There are people who do that for a living, and they take uh, careful scrutiny of the child as it develops, so they can offer you valuable information on child development. But again, when their principles and their ideology conflicts with the biblical uh, truth, it is then that we abandon psychology and we embrace Christianity. But we can use a lot of their ideas and suggestions. Uh, and remember, the Bible is not an exhaustive book on any subject. I repeat that. It's not an exhaustive book on any subject. It gives you core truth about human personality. But it doesn't go into an in-depth study of human personality. But what it does give you is truth. And anything that man discovers that conflicts with that is, is certainly wrong. It's in error because God is the one that made man and God knows the human personality. So there's nothing wrong in studying psychology if we interpret through the lens of Scripture and uh, we can use exactly uh, what discoveries are made to help with teaching, with learning, to understanding why people do certain things, etc., etc. But uh, if it conflicts with Scripture, uh, we do not embrace it and we reject it totally. So... What measures are used to define a person as narcissistic personality? Well, the, the, the uh, statistical manual uh, of psychology basically um, has identified nine different characteristics. And if a person has five of these, they label him uh, as suffering from uh, narcissistic uh, personality disorder. Let me just list them for you for just a moment. Uh, it said that it is marked by an exaggeration uh, of a person's own importance. 
that's one thing. Two, uh, they're preoccupied with fantasies about success and power uh, about themselves. Three, uh, they require constant attention and admiration and affirmation. So they need people to be constantly affirming them and telling them nice things about themselves. Four, it said that they have an unreasonable expectation of favorable treatment. You must treat them with a kid's glove almost, even though they're mature people. They're still like children. Uh, they take advantage of others. They're always exploiting others in their own self-interest. Uh, they lack empathy. Uh, that is trying to look at things from the other person's point of view. Uh, they, en- uh, they, they envy others and believe that other people are envying them themselves. And then uh, they behave in arrogant, uh, arrogant type of behavior. And the next thing is that they fe- have a sense of entitlement. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are nine characteristics. And if the person has five of these, the expert, the clinician, uh, diagnoses you that the person as being suffering from a personality, narcissistic personality disorder. It's just like uh, schizophrenia. Uh, how you know a person's schizophrenic? Because the, the manual lists these characteristics and when they have like uh, uh, most of the you know that person is schizophrenic the problem about labeling people is very very dangerous because once you get a psychological label on you it is very hard to get that label removed and that's the danger of being labeled uh, by psychology a message that has come from a listener Uh, Good evening. Good topic for the evening. My question is this. Can a believer in Christ or born-again Christian exhibit these traits of a narcissist, and is he considered to be saved if he does? Well, uh, I believe that um, it is possible for a person to be very, very selfish and very, very self-centered. Um, and I believe that uh, even though they carried over into the, they can carry that over into the Christian faith. It's just like any other problem a person has. Even though you're saved, uh, there is a complete uh, transformation that is progressive. Uh, most of you would know, and most of us would know that when we first got saved, all our problems didn't didn't just go away. All the personality didn't change. But as we mature and we are sanctified and we go on in the Christian life, we find that we have victory over problems that we didn't have previously. So I think it is possible for a person to be very, very narcissistic uh, before he was saved, come over to the Christian faith, and uh, carry over some of that into the relationship. The problem is that that needs to be addressed. And uh, that, is, that is significantly what happens. A lot of times we adjust to that person's uh, character without addressing the problem and asking for radical change and transformation. And of course, that person needs help. You know, the blindest person is the individual. He doesn't see what you can see. And, and that's our, that is our, our, our self-affirmation. We often view ourselves much more favorably than other people see us. And people who are really uh, honest and objective uh, and and, and uh, they are the ones that really need to say, talk to these type of people. You have a lot of sycophants around you. They only tell you what you want to hear and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So you've got to be very, very careful when it comes to this kind of matter. So if a person, not point, these things are not pointed out, uh, it's possible that they can go on believing that they don't have a narcissistic streak. Uh, so it's, it's 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 possible, but I believe that it, it should it can change. Now, when you read the psychological manual, by the way, they pretty much tell you that once you're narcissistic, you're, you're pretty much always are narcissistic. I don't believe that. Uh, 
I believe that there are people, and, and there are people that you would meet who were very, very selfish before they were saved, and then they're marvelously transformed and become a completely different person. I think we all know people like that. So certainly it is possible for this change to be brought about. But I, I might add another thing. I, I don't have an explanation for it, but it is sometimes happened that a person gets saved, and uh, take an alcoholic, he gets saved, and immediately... He doesn't have a taste for wandering afterwards. There are others that get saved, but they still ha- wrestle with that thirst. Why that happens, I don't know. But I, I do notice that we are all different. And I believe that God has a purpose in, in, in that process. Maybe it's to keep that person dependent on Him. Uh, and if that were not so, the person could live such a life that he thinks that he doesn't need God and live independent of God. But I do feel that it can be carried over. Um, but the other point I would like to say say this, there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians that are not Christians. It's a reality. And uh, sometimes they need to be woken up uh, to the reality of that. So it is possible, but at the same time, uh, there's also the possibility of de- self-deception the Bible warns against. Pastor, how do you assist a family member or address a narcissism in a family member? Well, again, um, I don't know the, all the details and all the circumstances um, about that. I would want to actually know what you do, uh, you know, what, what is perceived to be narcissistic type of thinking. Um, I mean, I would also want to know if what they're doing, does it endanger the person that they're with? Is it an abusive situation? Uh, I would also want to know what is the person doing and how they're responding to the narcissistic person. And then... Um, how does that person understand the situation? And are there, are there do they have a support group? Uh, what are they doing? Are they um, engaging with God in relation to this problem? I, I, you know, there's so many details you have to know. So to give proper advice without having a background is very, very difficult. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Virgin Gorda. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Pastor Murphy, I want you to explain Matthew 7 7. I've been praying for years and I'm trying to get a way through. Okay, let's see if Nathan, let's see if Nathan could. Uh, could you explain it for me? Okay, yes. Matthew 7 okay. 7. Matthew 7 7 says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Well, I think what is in the Greek language, by the way, is not just knock, seek, and find. It is knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Uh, what's the other one not ask and keep on asking so it's actually emphasizing the need for importunate prayer it's not just you come to God once and it's because it, yeah, yes yes okay uh-huh. yeah, I've been praying for years and I kind of get in the break too what must I do well again I don't know what it is that you're praying for but what if it is not yeah, God's what the Lord removed mental illness out of the family yeah and that the children and them doesn't get it yeah but again the son and he can see he got it uh-huh. I understand I've been asking the Lord to remove it out of the family what must I do yeah I've been praying for years uh-huh but again, I mean, I, not in every case is God going to bring about a healing in that, that matter. Paul was able to heal, but Paul left uh, two of his workers sick, even though Paul had the capacity to heal. So it's not always in that case that God has um, that God is going to heal. The other thing is, I, I don't know the background to your uh, situation. It seems organic, because uh, I myself have been sleeping probably, you know. Uh-huh. I suffer from insomnia, you know, and I don't sleep good. If I could 
get that over. I've been praying for that too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know. Yeah. Well, so, all I can all I can say to you, without trying to um, give you a lolly a lollipop, is that you know, mm-hmm. Paul Paul asked the Lord three times. Lord, remove this mm-hmm. thorn for me. Remove this thorn, and the Lord mm-hmm. never rece- removed the thorn. If God doesn't remove the thorn, He gives compensating grace, and what I mean, He gives you the capacity to endure it. He either mm-hmm. either going to remove it, and if He doesn't remove it, and in His sovereignty to remove it, remove it he, he, he will uh, give you. Huh? I want the Lord to remove it. Yes, but what if what the problem that uh-huh. with, with the health? Uh-huh. You know the mental issue. I yeah. met my daughter come home dead when I woke up at midnight Sunday morning, and I come home. My daughter died, and she said from she did have schizophrenia. Uh huh. Uh huh. Schizophrenia, and you know. And she died. Uh-huh. And now I have my, my first son now. He's in the mental institution there. I know, you told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I'm, my heart goes out to you because I would probably be the same way if I had the same condition you're in. But again, you, you've said you've prayed to God sincerely. Uh, the Lord has not seen fit to deal with it um, up to this point in your life. Uh, sometimes I don't, I don't have an answer why he would not have done that. Uh, it's it's all part of the great mystery of, of life that we don't fully comprehend. I can understand when with the Apostle Paul as well. Here's the greatest apostle. He's doing all this work, but he has this problem that's hindering him, uh, so he doesn't feel he has he can perform the job that he should the way he wants to. But again, the Lord uh, refused to do it, and he says, "My grace is sufficient for you." And then Paul said, "My my weakness, my strength is my." Um, he said, uh, "He is, he has power in his weakness." So the Lord provides the grace to enable him in his weakness to, to endure. In your situation, if the Lord hasn't done that, that doesn't mean you should stop praying. He said, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking. Uh, there, Look, there's one guy that um, um, I'm trying, I think it was uh, George Mueller, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was he that prayed for his brother, I think for 25 years. Hmm. And the guy did not get saved even in George Mueller's life, but after George Mueller died, the, the, the brother got saved. Uh, so it, it takes a long some time. Sometimes for what, why that happens and why God takes so long, it is all part of the divine mystery. But we've got one or two options. We either keep on trusting him, believing that he knows best, or we abandon him. And... Uh, as far as I'm a believer and you're a believer, uh, we got to keep on trusting the Lord and just keep on asking. And if it is in His will that it be done, um, it will be done. If it's not in His will, you, uh, it's just not going to be done. And I think there will be a time in the future when you have to confront Him on this and ask Him, well, Lord, you know, I, I, all these years and you never did it. Then you may be given an explanation that you had never fathomed and never thought about. You know, you're saying it's an organic illness again. I'm not disputing that, okay? But I am, uh, I, I would, when I saw, talk to your son, and I promise you, as soon as I'm given the okay to visit the hospital up here, I'm going to sit down with him and talk with him, and I'm going to get back to you because I really need to chat with him to find out what's going on in his mind, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to see what angle is coming from. So even though it's an organic problem as far as you're concerned, I want to be sure it's an organic problem and it's not something else related to that. Okay, sir? What do you think it's an organic problem or it's mental? What, what it is? Well, sometimes, look, what happens to a lot of these people that are supposed to be in the psychiatric hospital? I, I was reading mm-hmm. a book very recently because I run into a situation mm-hmm. recently. And uh, I read this book many years ago, a guy who dealt with um, um, m- matters of this nature. 
Uh, mm-hmm. He's been doing it for 40 years. Some of it is not organic. Some of it has to do with, uh, it might sound very strange that I'm saying this, but some of it has to do with ancestral involvement in the occult. And what? I don't know, I don't know if like, your grandparents or parents, what, I don't know your family. So that's why I would mm-hmm. like to chat with him to find out what's happening. I, in most cases where it is not an organic problem, there is some mm-hmm. occultic root that's involved. You may not be aware of it, uh, etc. So that's why it's useful to talk to a person. And normally, if it's, a, it's some kind of a, an occult aspect of it, uh, the mention of the name of God and praying to Jesus and stuff like that brings it out. They are very, very um, defensive and uh, they're very, they oppose uh, talking about God and opposed talking about Jesus and stuff like that. It will come out in the conversation because you sense a, sen- a sense of hostility that is not there when a person has an organic problem. So that's why I need to chat. And I'll get back to you, sir. But keep on praying. Keep on praying. I can feel your heart. I can understand your concern. And I think all of us who are listening to you on the radio would probably be inclined to view the problem the same way that you're viewing it. But you just keep on praying and keep on trusting. Don't give up on the Lord. And uh, I am going to see your son as soon as I'm able, and I will get back to you on the matter. Thank you very much for your call from Virgin Gorda. We appreciate it. You are listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse or broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. If you've just tuned in, the name of the program is That's Truth, and it is a live interactive call-in program. You can call and be put live on the air. You can call 1-268-462. 7420. The phone line is open and available and waiting for you. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor Murphy, in relation to the measures that are used to define a person as narcissistic personality, I believe it was number three you mentioned was they're constantly needing affirmation. Is that like an insecure person? Yeah, that, okay. that's the thing they've got to understand. A narcissist is basically, he, he displays this assurance, this sense of he's got it all together. But in heart, he's a little child and he's very vulnerable on the inside. But he never displays that. And that's, that, that's a very important, that's why he needs this constant affirmation to reassure himself uh, and make him feel good about himself. So that's why he needs this affirmation. I mean, the average person don't need to be affirmed and affirmed and affirmed. Once in a while, it's okay. But with a narcissistic person, because he so, has a, in, such an insecure personality, uh, he desires to have this constant reaffirmation uh, to make himself feel good about himself. I think a natural uh, question that comes out of our discussion thus far is, what is it like to live with a narcissistic personality? Well, I think if you are tired and exhausted trying to be a better By person. By asking that question, I'm not implying that you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you're exhausted and tired and you're trying uh, your best to be a better fr- wife or a better friend, and you're wondering why I always feel that you keep giving, 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 and the person just taking, taking, giving nothing back, you're probably dealing with a narcissistic person, to be very honest with you. Hmm. And uh, there are a few things I would suggest to you that um, you would... Number one is that uh, uh, he only uh, seemed to be considerate if being considerate benefits him, okay? 
there's nothing like mutuality or compromise that don't exist in the relationship at all. It's his way or the highway. So he's not prepared to, to dis- discuss matters and let's see if we can come to a reasonable solution and et cetera, et cetera. You never win with him. He always, you never win. He just wins all the time. Simple decisions uh, are, which you think are so simple, are up for discussion as though they're a matter of life and death. And you can't figure it out. I mean, this is such a simple matter, but it's become so complex with, with the person. You always feel that you're walking on eggshells and you try not to do anything at all to displease him. So you're just walking very casually in the relationship. You spend all your emotional energy uh, focusing on how he feels and trying to manage how you can manage his feelings so that you don't disturb him. So he's, he's sapping you emotionally, it's draining you emotionally. Uh, you wake up almost every day wondering, is he mad of something I did? Uh, you pick that up. Uh, you're no longer sure what the truth is any longer. You doubt, begin to doubt yourself. I mean, I, I mean, it's obvious what is happening, but the way he's able to twist things, you have self-doubt now about you actually uh, being a truthful person because he turns things around in such a way that you begin to have doubts about your integrity. You feel like you have to help him uh, uh, know what it is to be a normal person having a normal relationship because he don't seem to figure out what normal is. Uh, to him, what he considers normal is so abnormal that you, you, you're you trying to, this is not how it is. This, but he still can't see it. You forgive him a hundred times, but he keeps doing the same thing again and again and again and again. You believe that if you can be just a better person, the relationship will change. But no matter how you try to change, the relationship just doesn't change. It goes back to the, the same old thing. If you try uh, to help him make an improvement uh, to his life uh, or a relationship, he gets angry, offended, because to him, there's nothing wrong with him, and you're, you're being nitty-pitty, you know, you're picking out things that you should not. The answer to a simple question is never a simple answer for him. It's always a very complex answer. Um, you don't make it, uh, you don't know what to make as important, uh, because what's important to you is not important to him. That's the problem. And your day is consumed with thinking about how to please him morning, noon, and night. You're just trying to figure out in your own mind how to do that. Um, you work on your communication, but no matter how you try to work on your own communication to improve it with him, it doesn't improve. There's always something there. Uh, and he somehow desensitizes you so that what is unsept- unacceptable behavior, you now begin to think, maybe I just need to accept his behavior as it is. He's so convincing uh, as far as this is concerned. Uh, you may have to keep uh, re- re- uh, readjusting your perception to what reality is. Uh, so that it matches his so that you have peace and not have confusion all the time within the home. And if you disagree with him, you're accused of being disrespectful. Uh, you know, he's the man, uh, he's whatever it is, and you're not showing him the proper respect. And when you have a reason for wanting to do something your way, he finds a thousand ways where it should be done his way and not your way. This is a narcissistic personality, and uh, it is very, very clear. Uh, sometimes you think that if you could just find that one thing that could provide him with insight, then what that would make some sense to him, um, what happens in the process that 
even that one thing you think you found just doesn't make you just can't get to uh, to this matter. And then he has a limited repertoire of responses that are not productive. He either responds in anger or silence. Uh, he dis- gets distracted by absorbing himself with games or some kind of entertainment. Or he might try a drug, uh, a substance, or he punishes you by abstinence if you're his wife. Uh, they think they're right about everything, and they never apologize. They never apologize. You just can't get an apology out of the person. Uh, I think that those, a combination of those factors, you should be able to gauge that you're dealing with a narcissistic person uh, who is just totally absorbed uh, and self-centered. I think I'm emotionally drained just listening to you <laughs> <laughs> explain that list. Well, that's why when you talk to somebody who is dealing with, who's living with a narcissistic yeah. person, they are they are pooped, yeah. just completely, completely drained, and uh, they just don't know what to do. It just takes everything out of them. As you were describing that list, I have a follow-up question. Uh, a person that just shows up when they need something and then disappears, I'm not talking necessarily in a, a marriage relationship, mm-hmm. but uh, would that be considered a sign of narcissism? Or a person does what? Just shows up when they need something and you invest in them and then they disappear for a while and then they come back. I think we've all run yeah, across yeah, people th- like th- that. That is a narcissistic streak, no, no question about mm-hmm. that. That I consider that person a user. Uh, they're just uh, there for what they can get, and whatever it is, they're gone. But uh, that that would be a narcissistic element for sure. Pastor, what are some of the tactics that a narcissist will use to get their way? What are some ways they manipulate the situation? Well, uh, for, for example, they're very common practicing what is called projection, accusing you of some character fault and behavior when they themselves epitomizes that very characteristic. Uh, they, t- they turn the tables. Uh, bullying you, using verbal or nonverbal language to let you know that you're not a match for them, basically. You can't win the argument. Sometimes um, they try to ke- create uh, chaos and conflict. Uh, for example, if you're a husband or wife, every holiday or every special day, they somehow sabotage it. When you're expecting that this is going to be different, somehow to do it. Nothing you do is good enough for them, and the rules are always changing. Everybody must observe the rules, but when they break the rules, um, it doesn't seem to apply to them in that regard. And then nitpicking, and what I mean by that, it's just impossible to please them. When you feel that you're doing something exactly the way they want it done, there's always something else needed to be done and something you missed. Uh, that is what I call by uh, Nick Picking uh, flip-flopping the script and what that means if you express concern about their behavior towards you they'll turn it back on you making it feel as though you're the one that's the problem so no matter how you draw it to their attention they just flip the, the script and, and uh, it, it somehow always ends up with you and then the other thing about that is that everything is black and white in their thinking there's something right and something wrong. There's nothing in between. And you better get it right all the time. Uh, that, that, is, that is another factor of it. And then um, misrepresenting your thoughts and your words or your action. You do something with good intentions, and they turn it around uh, to make you feel that you did it for a wrong reason. Uh, 
and you can't figure it out. I mean, how in the world that won't happen? But again, everything again is turned around in their favor. And uh, something that's called baiting, doing something to get you to react. And when you do react, they act as though they're surprised that you reacted to it when it was all planned and plotted that you would you that to, that would happen and then of course you know the silent treatment i've said enough and then that goes into ghosting and what they mean by that they they live in the home as though you don't exist it's not that they're silent now but they pass you in the morning there's no morning is it you're there they're there but it's like you don't really exist in their mind that's called ghosting they're, you're like a ghost that they don't see any longer in your life and then um they give you what is called guilt tripping, trying to make you feel bad about your opinions and your feelings. They're trying to make you feel like you're the one uh, that is creating all the problems. So they try to invalidate your feelings and your opinions. And then, of course, uh, name calling is another thing that are trying to belittle you, saying that you are you're not a Christian or you're not acting Christian, you're ungodly, or you're just being irrational, or you're being rebellious. All of that is, is trying to demean you in such a way that you yield to their whatever they want. And then avoiding responsibility, acting like there's nothing they could have done different to produce a different result. When it's very obvious that the problem you mentioned, if they had just made some adjustment or did, did something, uh, the outcome could have been different. There, there, there are others as well um, using emotion to get their way. They're chronically angry or they have these massive mood swings that you become aware of. And they use such words about to you about you're so disappointing. It's so sad you are this way. And they're sad in the situation. It's disappointing the way they're living, but they turn it on you now and make sure that you're the sad one. You're, I'm so disappointed in you. And then uh, they're hypersensitive. Uh, I mentioned before, you're always around them. You're always careful what you say because you're like you, you can uh, crush the eggshells, and you just want to make sure that you don't do that. And they always play the victim, making it song as though they're the innocent uh, party, and you are the one exhibiting unreasonable behavior. And then the other one that people talk about is what they call gaslighting, and uh, that's trying to make you feel like your perception of reality is not accurate and that you don't see or hear or remember or interpret things correctly. The tactic is designed to get you to doubt your judgment on yourself, so you he, that person becomes the source of your authority. So now you, it, 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 they're, they're pretty much telling you what reality is, and uh, you are now dependent upon them because they, they make you feel as though no matter how you look at this whole thing, you're not looking at it. Uh, uh, perception, uh, your perception is, 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 um, is um, not, not correct or not right. And then, of course, changing the subject. Uh, when you begin to talk about something you want, oh, we'll deal with that later. But you know what? We never talk about it later. Never do it in the whole thing. And then condemning and shaming you, telling you that how wrong you are and uh, the wrong things that you do, that you're saying, that you should be ashamed of yourself. And uh, how in the world can you sleep when you think this kind of a way? That is what it is. It, it, it put yourself in a situation with that, that kind of an individual no wonder people that go through this are totally exhausted and emotionally drained. They're sucking everything out of you. You are like, you, f you feed them, as it were. And by the time you f they feed off your emotions, they leave you drained. And uh, they have this ego trip that they're in charge and control. And uh, they now got you, as it were, begin to think like they think in that regard. It's a very difficult 
situation and any woman or man that finds himself in, in this kind of a uh, unfortunate dilemma uh, normally are usually very tired very very exhausted and uh, really just totally drained pastor whatsapp question from a listener good night pastor you regularly are saying him can that person be a female oh yes i'm sorry about that i'm using the genetic word for him okay uh, i should probably say person as that's people are trying to say today but normally when we you know, sometimes we talk about a ship we say her or you know so i'm hoping you think it's a generic term that refers to both male and female two other questions that have come in from a listener pastor i have a question what are your views on taking the COVID 19 vaccine well, I think someone has asked me that before. I have taken it myself uh, because I'm at that vulnerable age and I don't want to tempt God. Uh, I have great faith in God, but again, i got to use my common sense. You know, it's like as I told people when the devil took the Lord to the pinnacle of the temple and he told him, throw yourself down. And if you are really the son of God, he has promised in his word that nothing will, will hurt you. Even if you dash your foot against the, the rock, he will protect you. And the Lord looked at him straight in the eye and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So you must not presume uh, to act presumptuously, even though there's a Bible promise there. You've got to use your exercise, your wisdom, and your knowledge, and your reason. And in my case, uh, I had no misgivings about taking the vaccine. I still don't have any misgivings. About, as a matter of fact, I am due one, I think the 26th, the 2nd, uh, as far as that is concerned. But I do think it's a personal matter. I think if you have very strong convictions about it, um, I, I, the problem is that those who have strong convictions begin to judge those who take it, yeah. and that's where the problem comes. But this is a non, um, this is a gray area that is no biblical mandate or biblical principle to guide you in for whether you should take a vaccine or not. And you just got to use your good common sense. And I, I don't buy the conspiracy theories. I've heard so many of them. I get tired of conspiracy theories. To be very honest with you, I just can't conceive of all the major countries in the world, uh, America, England, uh, India, Israel, uh, the European countries, I can't see them, uh, uh, you know, coming together, uh, and they have so many different matters. I can't see them killing their own people and wanting their own people killed, etc. I just can't see it. That would be the most sadistic group of leaders in the entire human history, and I just don't see it. But what I think has happened, if I may advise the, the gentleman, I think what has happened is that a lot of distrust was created because of the last uh, uh, administration in America. The current people in power uh, did everything to undermine the integrity of what was done and how it was done. And they gave the impression that it was all done for politics. There was no real interest in saving life. They didn't go through the right procedure. It was shortcut measured, et cetera, et cetera. Now that they have come to power, they're having difficulty getting people to believe them because they're now saying the very opposite of what, they, as a matter of fact, they're taking credit for being able to do this. And that's where I think a lot of the mistrust has taken place. And the media... Uh, quite frankly, you can't trust the media, period, today. You don't know what to believe any longer. Uh, and I think, again, that kind of breakdown of integrity, uh, if you can't trust the government, you can't trust the media, who are you going to trust? And that's where, until something is done, where the media goes back to full investigating and stop taking political sides and just give the truth as it is, until that happens, uh, whether it be the COVID or something else that's going to come, uh, the 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 distrust 
will be general in the public and the populace, and it's going to become difficult to, to really get people to cooperate when something is actually a, a major crisis or catastrophe. Another question from a listener. People would say the Lord God Almighty himself kills people, and the Bible is contradictory. What are your views? Well, if you read the the, 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 uh, the Old Testament in particular, there's no question that God ordered the nation of Israel to take action and to wipe out certain um, certain groups. There's no question about that. But again, what was the purpose of that? When you go back to the book of Genesis and you read that the Lord told um, Abraham that he's going to give the Canaanites 430 years then he's going to bring Israel into 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 Palestine, and then he's going to deal with the the Canaanite problem. So, in actual fact, he's given them four hundred thirty years to repent. Four hundred thirty is a long time. If you haven't changed in four hundred thirty years, chances are you're not going to change. And they were a moral cancer to the the nation of Israel. And God was concerned that when He's bringing Israel into the Promised Land to bring a, bring about a new dispensation of righteousness that those people need to be removed. They were given enough time to repent. They didn't repent and their consequences. You know, it's like what is coming in the future. We haven't seen anything yet. The worst is yet to come. The mm-hmm. Bible says that there is coming when there has never been nor has there ever been a time like this. By the time the Lord is finished dealing with planet Earth, uh, almost uh, between half and two-thirds of the population is gone, wiped out. Why? We've had 2,000 years to repent, but we haven't. And God's patience eventually uh, runs out. And there are consequences to the lifestyle that we're living. He's going to catch it with us sooner or later. Pastor, what about the listener who is saying, Pastor, my spouse is an extreme narcissist. Is this a valid reason for separation or divorce? There are only two biblical grounds for divorce, and I repeat that, I'll keep repeating it again. If the person commits adultery, you have a basis for divorce. If the person abandons and goes away and abandons the whole relationship and gets involved, whatever, that's abandonment. You find that in Corinthians chapter 7, and the other one you find in, uh, I think, Matthew chapter 18, or 19, sorry. Um, What I would say, uh, you have no basis for divorce, but you may have grounds for separation. Because if it has become an abusive situation now, that's why I said that you have to know the situation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if it becomes so abusive that you find it almost virtually impossible to live with the person, it is quite proper to decide, let's separate and let him get counseling, right? If he is interested in saving the relationship, he should be willing to... Look, if you love some person, you would probably do anything possible to keep that, that, that relationship. So if you decide that, uh, you know, sit down and talk, whatever it is, I can't live in this situation longer, uh, prepare to, to separate and uh, until you get help, etc., etc., I think that's an option. However, in your separation... You have to be very careful. You don't now have a liaison relationship with somebody else that you now commit adultery. See, how morally strong are you? See, and that is something you have to look at because it opens an avenue and a door. And I will say this to you: when other persons that know you, uh, who probably have got their eye on you for whatever reason, learn that you are now separated from your husband, don't be surprised if the enemy sends somebody who offers you the very opposite of what your husband is. Hmm only to get you 
So the devil is going to take that and use it as a ploy to even to destroy you if you're a believer. So you have to be very, very watchful and very, very careful. But there are times when separation would be in order. But separation with the idea that you are going to try to rebuild your marriage as he gets counseling and uh, you try to rebuild your life together. Thank you for tuning in to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program on Tuesday evenings. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number to call is 268-462-7420. There is no one on the phone. So if you call right now, you will be put right through. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your question. Or maybe it's a suggested topic for a future episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this topic was suggested by a listener maybe a month or so ago, and we appreciate that suggestion, a very practical topic in the day and age that we live with other human beings who are all of a sinful nature. Pastor, what is the cause of narcissism? Well, when you do the research, to be very honest, they honestly tell you in the even the manual, they really don't know what is the real cause. They just speculate. Uh, some try to link it with some genetic factor, something you've inherited, a tendency, maybe in your dad or your mom, that is carried over uh, into your life. Uh, others try to link it with some biological factor, some some imbalance somewhere, some chemical imbalance, some maybe some neurotransmitters not functioning properly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's all speculation. But the one that seems most reasonable is that not the cause, but which helps to exacerbate it, is the, what they call the environmental factor, the, how you were brought up. And I can see that. Um, some of us uh, listening might be aware that you knew of a boy when he was being brought up, or a girl who had her way. Anything they wanted, uh, they just had their way. So they come up in life believing that the whole world revolves around themselves. You can see that as a factor in the life of the child. Now, it is, uh, it is something that the person has become. And, but what I'm saying, the person is still responsible for their actions, but they're contributory factors because the parents should have corrected, should have let that person know they can't have their own way, can't have everything they want. But there are some parents who just indulge children. And then it helps to create the monsters we have to deal with in the future. And don't forget, this little monster will one day become a big monster who marries somebody's daughter, somebody's child. And that's where the problem begins. But um, they all believe that it may be a combination of these factors, to be honest with you. From a biblical perspective, um, when we're talking about somebody who is excessively selfish, uh, given a fancy psychological name of narcissism, uh, songs, that's jargon, to be very honest with you. And, and remember that this is not something new. I think if you, um, every civilization, every every society have people who are narcissistic, who life try to make revolve around them. So it's a modern label, but it's not a new problem. And uh, if you check the scriptures, it says very clearly there's nothing new under the sun. It also says that there's nothing that you will ever face that's not common to humanity. So this is a problem that is not just... The problem is, of course, it is now at a level that it has never been before because we're living in a narcissistic age where everybody's life revolves around themselves, basically. 
and, and and especially in this 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 new generation we've got, where they're not concerned about others. I remember back in the seventies when I was in school, I had a big argument. I didn't understand at the point then why the person was asking me the question, but now the more old I get, he asked me this question: How can you love others if you don't love yourself? His point was that the first type of love should be self-love. But the Bible has reversed that. You love God, you love others, and then you love self. The Bible assumes you love yourself. But in the 70s, there was a massive argument going on about that, about whether, whether you should not try to love yourself first before you love others. And, and, and I mean, when you read the Scriptures, that's almost comical because God assumes you love yourself. The reason why you get up in the morning and you brush your teeth and you try to dress yourself to look nice and put on nice clothes, why do you think you do that? You love yourself. You naturally love yourself, Right. And, and by the way, when, when people actually commit suicide, believe it or not, this might sound rather strange to say to you, but they love themselves so much they cannot stand themselves being criticized or being demeaned. So their way to deal with it is to commit suicide. That might sound a bizarre way of arguing, to be very honest, but it's only because they think so much of themselves and can't bear the fact that people don't see them the way they see themselves. Some of them just lose it and commit suicide. But it's all about self-love. Man is born innately selfish. Okay, that's how man is born. It's just that it is in a more severe form in some people because of the upbringing has helped to bring that up and to develop that. But it's in mild forms and sometimes it's, it's, it's very, very little of it. But we are basically narcissistic uh, uh, creatures. Um, if you go to the book of James, uh, can I interrupt you for sure. just a minute, Pastor? We have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, good evening. Hi, good evening, sir. How are you doing? Good to hear you, Mr. Good Williams. I spoke, to you, well. I spoke to your daughter this week, by the way. Yes, yes, I appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, we, I'm going to continue to speak to her periodically. To yes, thank okay. you. You're welcome, sir. I try to get you the week two because I want to have a, have, a, have a offering. I want to do get in touch with you. What you didn't respond? To. Oh, uh, I, uh, I, I don't have. A, I can't answer that question. Why I didn't respond? To be honest with you, uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Sometimes I, I'm very anybody would tell. I'm a very negligent person when it comes to the phone. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't. I'm not one of those persons that like the phone to annoy me, <laughs> because I'm always doing some kind of reading or some kind of stuff, and it breaks your train of thought. So that may be what happened there. And my apologies. I, I don't know. Maybe tomorrow works. I don't know. Pardon me. Maybe tomorrow works. Yeah. Okay. No problem. No problem. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a buzz. Uh, maybe I can come and come and meet you or something wherever you are. Is that okay? Okay. No problem. Okay. Tell you now, uh, a quick question. Sure. What about you remember when Peter and Paul had the conflict when Peter was trying to please the Jews, and then when he made the Gentiles in front of Paul and then he went and like he had one of it to uh-huh. with them and Paul confronted him? Right. Hmm? Uh, well, in that case, the Apostle Paul. If you read the passage in Galatians, Paul talks about that in Galatians where he had to confront Peter deliberately because here was the problem. Uh, Christianity was born out of the wound of Judaism. It came out of Judaism. The the first set of believers were all Jews. And uh, the Jews at that point of transition were trying to make Christianity almost a Jewish religion. For example, they wanted to impose the law on the Gentiles. You're a Christian, yes, but you must keep the law of Moses, right? And remember that the, the Jews would not eat with Gentiles, 
uh, it was not proper because the Gentiles were dogs, basically, uh, in their, their mindset. They were God's special people. I'm just saying they carried that over into the Christian faith, where they did not treat the Gentiles as equals. They just think that it was a Jewish religion. Uh, God called us, first of all, and uh, out of this. So what happened then is that when um, the other Jews were in Jerusalem, and Peter was uh, with Paul and other Gentiles. He sat down and he ate with the Gentiles. He didn't see a problem with that. But when the Judaizers from Jerusalem came up now to where Paul was, he felt that they would be offended that he would eat with the Gentiles. So he withdrew himself. And Paul said, you big hypocrite. <laughs> and Paul rebuked him. Paul said, you do not in any way honor the gospel. And uh, by doing this, you are showing partiality in this matter. So... That's why I said, you see, Peter was not the first pope, no? <laughs> but Paul had to rebuke him because he was he was taking his Judaistic uh, sentiments and feelings and carrying it over into Christianity. Let me, use, let me use a parallel here, if I might use a parallel here. So this is what happened in America uh, with the white and black situation. That should never have happened. The church should have said, uh, look... All men are made equal before God. All men are created equal before God. When a black person got saved, he should not have to go to a black church. He should be able to go to a white church. There should not be a white church and a black church in America or any part of the world. But because of the culture and the situation, and the pastors did not have the guts to stand up and say, this ends in this church. So what happened? The leaders who should have changed that didn't change it. No, it was, it's turning around now to bite them. Because they now begin to realize that that was completely wrong and scripturally wrong. But it is a historical fact that's what happened. And, and that's what the similar thing that I'm dealing here with Peter. Paul was bold enough to tell Peter, you may think that because you have the keys and you were the top apostle that you can live this kind of, but this kind of way is unscriptural, is wrong, and it doesn't pass the test with me, and I'm going to rebuke you in front of everybody that what you're doing is wrong. Paul did that and humbled Peter. Unfortunately, we didn't have religious leaders that would take a stand on these matters because they were bending to social pressure of the time. Uh, and that is what has happened. And, uh, and uh, so, But Paul corrected him in that regard. And I, I want to say that we ought to be big and bold today on matters when they're unscriptural. For example, I make no qualm to say that uh, a homosexual can never be a member of our church. I will always condemn uh, same-sex. I couldn't care what the media does with me. They can pillory me. They can put me on CNN and make me look like a dog, look me look as though I'm a terrorist, or make me look as though I'm, I'm a bigot, I'm, I'm intolerant. That makes no difference to me. If God says it is wrong, it is wrong, and nobody can put pressure on me to shame me to get me to change my mind on these matters. I'm settled on these matters. I am too old to be bullied. Uh, by this immature group of people that there that don't even understand uh, anything about the Bible, anything about Scripture, and are just concerned about getting their own agenda. Well, but when the Bible tells you have no struggle for you all that you're talking about, you cannot know uh, a wrong thing and, and support it because you want to. Right, but that is what is happening to the, in the church all over the world. That's why the church has lost its moral clout. How can a church uh, ordain homosexuals to the ministry? You tell me how that can be done. In the name of God, how can that be done? But that's what's being done right, left, and center. How can a church accept tra a person with a transgender as though there's, there's nothing wrong with him? God made him a man. God made him a woman. So all of this the church is bowing to because it's coming from the pressure of politicians. It's coming from the pressure of uh, the world. And people are bending 
because they're afraid of being labeled and called by names. And uh, that doesn't work with Pastor Murphy. If something is wrong, it is wrong. If it's biblically wrong, it is wrong. And I will speak out on it. And you can try to shame me from now forever. It doesn't. It's water off a duck's back. Right now, what you have in the world is man more fear man than, than, than man fear God. But sir, you now you now you're speaking. Now you're understanding where the church is and where yeah. there is such no power uh, and God can't bless. I I say this in our church frequently when I'm preaching. Well, not frequently, very infrequently. I often say to them, "You be all praying for revival. We want revival." Everybody wants revival, but there's no revival. And we wonder why. You've got all these big churches. The answer is very simple. I keep saying to them, if we can see what God can see going on in the church, we would understand why he can't bring revival. He cannot bless what he sees because there's a lot of evil going on in the church that is under the rug and nobody talks about and people hide. And when God sees that, how is he going to bless when the church is not right with God. The church needs a deep repentance. I repeat that. That's the greatest need it needs. That would mean in the mind of the, the young boy in First Corinthians chapter 5 when he had Correct, correct. And remember, the church was tolerant. They were saying, they were boasting how tolerant they were, that they're so generous that they could allow this young man to live in immorality. And Paul said, What? Look, I am not even among you, but I am there in spirit. When you come together in the name of the Lord, cast that man out and turn him over to the devil, that his body might be destroyed, but his spirit saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Don't tolerate it, Paul is saying. The church has, uh, in some ways, uh, in many ways uh, today, the church is a very weak church and too tolerant because it is more governed by the philosophy of the world than it is by the principles of Scripture. Mm. Yes, the last question, no, Pastor. Sure. Uh, within you and within the Bible, can a real, real, genuine Christian commit suicide? I think it is possible for a person to have a moment of insanity. I really feel that way. And I, and I, I don't think that only unsafe people could have a moment of insanity. I think a person can be under so much pressure and so many th- conditions that in an act where the person really has lost it, I think it can happen. And, and by the way, I don't think that God necessarily intervenes in every case to stop something. Uh, that is not necessarily the case. But I do feel it can happen. It's an, it's an exception. It's an anomaly. But I do believe it can happen. I can see. Look, I, I have, uh, I have sometimes. <laughs> I would say stuff on the radio that might even shock, shock what I was saying. But when you're dealing with kids, sometimes uh, there are times when I got so angry with dealing with one or two of my kids that I could have really, really have lost it, and I could have probably have injured them in the wrong way. Uh, and uh, you look back on it and you realize, you know what? That was almost at the breaking point. Not. I would not do it under normal circumstances, but they can so exasperate you sometimes that you can do something that you wish you would never do. I can see things like that happening because we're all made of feet of clay and we can only take so much. And I think in, in the case of some people, they can so be broken down emotionally and psychologically that they can do an act thinking that they're just solving the problem when in actual fact, suicide never solves a problem. It's a more selfish act when you think about it in the long term because you hurt more people that way than if you had remained alive. Uh, but the person see it as a solution to the problem of just getting rid of the, the matter. So I think it, it's possible to have a moment of insanity and do something that you cannot, uh, be, un- cannot be undone. Okay, thank you very much. Th- thank you so much for calling. God bless you. Say hi to the wife, please. 
Thank you very much for your call and continue to encourage others to listen to that's truth. Pastor Murphy, you were referencing uh, not bowing to political pressure when it comes to homosexuality or the transgender movement. Uh, I saw this last week that you're familiar with who uh, Bruce Jenner is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Bruce Jenner, who was assigned male, who was born a male and has, in 2015, uh, became a trans woman, has come out in opposition to high school sports uh, allowing transgenders to play on the girls sports teams and the trans community or the, the, killing him. the it, yeah is saying <laughs> that he is anti-trans yeah be transgender and it just makes no sense it's the the whole idea of the woke yeah. society is attacking its own yeah look i i saw when bruce jenner won the decathlon i i remember when he won the decathlon he was a wonderful athlete bruce jenner uh at least he's honest. He realizes he's not a real woman. Okay, he is a he is an artificial woman. I mean, he realizes that, and yeah. he also realizes that uh, even though he might have taken the hormones to help transform himself and his body shape, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, he realized that he still has certain inherent strengths as a man. He knows that any person would, anybody would know that. I mean, any today, common sense is no longer common. Okay, it, it's it's the it's the uh, Exception. These people have an agenda. Okay, this people—they call it social justice, and this is where this whole concept is actually neo-Marxism that's trying to create what is called an egalitarian society. Put everybody on the same plane. It's a Marxist neo-Marxist theory, but it's just to be given a new name so that it now has a more psychological uh, acceptance. If you call it neo-Marxism, everybody say, "Ah, we talk Marx." But when you call it um, social justice, uh, it carries a different uh, connotation altogether. Uh, I think everybody knows, and every sensible person knows, by the way, uh, that a person who is a transgender should never partake in athletics with a female because there are males in a female artificial uh, transformation, but it's the person is still male at heart in that regard. So I, I commend uh, Jenner for being an honest person, but that's what the left does to you. If you don't go with what they want, they pillory you, and they they, they, they they blacklist you, and they, they use all kinds of titles to demean you because you're not following and you're not politically correct. So they come after you, they attack you. And uh, I think it's beginning to be seen now. People begin to understand what this game is all about, and it's becoming more exposed and more. And people are getting tired of it, to be very honest with you. And I think increasingly you're going to see that they're going to get defeated. Pastor, uh, we have about 15 minutes left in the program. We have a listener who has sent in a video via WhatsApp. Obviously, during the program here, we're not able to listen and, or play the video. But a summary of the video is about the people in India destroying the idols they once worshipped and sacrificed themselves for by throwing them into the street because they did not protect them from the coronavirus. They pray to the idols because they believed they would protect them from the virus, but they finally discovered that the idols could not do anything for them. Uh, is that something that we would expect to see from a biblical worldview? I am so happy that the Indian people have finally waken up that idolatry uh, has no real substance to it. Uh, I could not imagine that in the 21st century 
the world's largest democracy uh, uh, could have people in it where they're worshipping images of, of, um, of rats. The cow is sacred. Uh, a cow urinates or a poo and they go and collect it and they either cook with it or bathe themselves with it. They go into the Ganges River. It's the most sacred river that would cleanse them from sins, etc., etc. It's almost as though we're living in the dark ages that people would have that kind of thinking. Finally, finally, they began to realize, uh, as the book of Isaiah said, they, they, they got idols with eyes, but they can't see. They got ears, but they can't hear. They got mouths that they can't speak. They got hands, but they can't help. And they got feet that they can't walk. I am so happy that the Indian people are waking up to this matter, that th- the, this idolatry they've been living on, they know that it's just fiction and fake. Hopefully they uh, turn to the truth. I do hope. I do hope that. And, and by the way, this is where... Christian organizations that are compassionate, they go in and they now begin to show those people compassion. And, and, and remember that a lot of these Christians are hazarding their own lives to save those people and help those people. That is when they begin to see true religion in action and begin to understand that there's a great God uh, that uh, controls and guides his people and makes his people compatible even to put their life in jeopardy in the interest of others. Then they begin, that is what true religion is all about. Remember what James says? True religion on the file is a visit the fathers and the widows, etc., etc. I think when those people see that kind of compassion and that kind of care, I think they begin to realize that Christianity is authentic and real. Uh, and I think this may be a, a moment of change and transformation for that country. I hope, I sincerely hope, that they don't revert to the idolatry that is there because it is so heartbreaking uh, to see in the 21st century the kind of idolatry. When I went to Trinidad some years ago, Nathan, I, I was uh, driving, someone was taking me, and I see all these flags uh, in homes, and I was wondering, well, are these different flags of different nations? And I was told, that each one of those flags represent a different God, right? That's what Hinduism is all about, et cetera, et cetera. And I was appalled that in the 21st century, at the time it was the 20th century, that people can be so blind and uh, so completely in darkness that they uh, could still be practicing this kind of idolatry in such a blatant and open way. Pastor, we have a number of questions that have come in here at the end of the program. Uh, Pastor Murphy, you said when a person commits suicide, they love themselves. If they love themselves, why would they commit suicide? I just explained to you the whole problem. Uh, when they commit suicide is that they can't continue to see themselves living the way that it is. So It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very strange uh, um, way of looking at it. But they love themselves so much that they cannot endure themselves uh, going through what they're going through. So it's a, it's a very subtle form of psychological response but if they absolutely cared nothing about themselves chances are it didn't matter what people say it didn't matter what the situation is they'll just continue but so it's a it's a kind of a very strange kind of um of, of love i'm talking about uh but it it's really in truth in fact indirectly if you think about it it's because they can't uh, and, and endure themselves handling whatever they're handling that this this too and it's because of their concerned about hurting themselves is why they decide let me just finally end it here I know it's a strange way of putting it but you reflect on it more thoroughly and you begin to see because every man loves himself don't ever forget that that's how you were made and every person basically has a a narcissistic streak that they're selfish in some way or some form 
I'm going to try and ask these questions quickly so sure. we can get through them in the last eight minutes. As it relates to the Sabbath, there are so many controversies as it relates to worshiping on the Sunday and the day of worship. The Constantine changed the Sabbath by the National Sunday Law. Explain why Christians worship on Sunday. I don't know of any confusion about worshiping Sunday. Uh, the only people that have a problem with that is the Seventh-day Adventists, so I don't know what the point is. Uh, there's no confusion about it. We all know why. And again, uh, I would recommend that you listen to a program where I dealt with the Sabbath and went back to show you from the very first century right through what the church fathers who were, even um, the disciple of John, uh, the Apostle John, even he, all of them, basically, from the first century, uh, explained that they met on the first of the week to honor the Lord's resurrection. So Constantine did not uh, start Sunday worship. What he did is that when he became a professed believer, he gave it the legal sanction so that believers would not have to meet in secret. But he did not in any way change the day of worship for believers. That is a complete historical fabrication. And I think if you do the research, you discover that uh, even though they said that he changed it, and he, he changed it in the sense that he made it legal. But believers were worshiping on Sunday long before Constantine even lived and existed. And if you are interested in listening to that full episode, you can go to our website, www.radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second picture you see, which is a large microphone. And right in the middle, there's a circle which says podcast. Click on that. Scroll down and click on the That's Truth link. And it is episode number 0004. So episode four, and it's entitled The Sabbath. That was a 60-minute episode focused just on that topic. Pastor, this is a question that I can't say I have ever heard before. It comes from a listener in Antigua. I've heard a single man often stating that he would like a Proverbs 31 female. So He's asking a young lady if she is a Proverbs 31 female when they meet. Is this appropriate for a young man to say to a young woman? I ask because men seem to be using this passage to mean a woman who is financially established with land or business and able to build a home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I understand the sentiments the the young person may be asking. Look, a man's job is to offer his wife security. It's not a reverse in that. The book of Proverbs basically explained that here is a woman uh, that she, she, you know, she's, by the way, she's a housewife. She's still, but she works in the home. She does something to help to bring in some of the income. She's very industrious, very busy. Uh, she gets up early. She takes care of her children, takes care of her husband. She goes into the marketplace. She buys fine linen. She knits it, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a woman that's a very industrious woman. I, I don't think there's anything wrong in wanting a man, wanting a woman to be very industrious and a, a, a person who um, could take some initiative, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't see anything particularly wrong with it. Uh, that If they're looking for financial security, I would suggest that the woman shut them down because they're looking not for them to support her, looking for her to support him. And that is clearly not wrong. And that's clearly wrong. The, the responsibility is given to the man to be the one who's responsible for the security of the wife. It's not vice versa. But it is also good to have a wife who can assist and help. And if she's not called to be a full-time housewife, and at least I normally would suggest to people who have children, you know, uh, the first two or three years of your child's life, devote that to their, their upbringing because that's the formative years of the child. But when they start to go to school, then you can talk about getting employment, et cetera, et cetera. I don't believe in farming out our children to the daycare. No, I, I have a uh, my, my, my granddaughter there, 
I can't see anybody taking better care of her than I. The amount of patience it takes for me to deal with her, I can't see anybody anywhere uh, that can ever offer her the kind of care that my wife and myself can offer and the kind of security we can give and the interaction that we can. I can't, there's no place on planet Earth that that can happen. And uh, I don't believe in farming out children. I think that people need to make a sacrifice at that early age. And then when they start to go to uh, school, then I think that um, you could probably look at the possibility. And then even if you do something at home while you're t- uh, ministering to your daughter, and, and there's so many things you can do on, uh, online. You, um, we get another talk on that, but I, I think that that'd be a good thing to do. Pastor, we have about four minutes left in tonight's episode. Is there anything you want to say in closing on the topic of the cause of narcissism or the cure or solution? But I, I would just say that uh, one of the things that I would like to do uh, next week while we go into another program, begin the, other, begin the program by going into the book of James, chapter 3, because I think okay. that that passage in James is a perfect description of a narcissistic personality. And James tells you exactly what, where the cause come from. Because when he talks about that same uh, type of a person characteristic, and it, it talks about uh, the causes of it, uh, he roots it uh, significantly in the book of James chapter 3, in the heart. And that's where Jesus said all our problems stem from, our inner personality that's been depraved because man is a fallen creature. Uh, the environment helps to feed and foster the evil that we have within us. So the environment does spare factor, but the environment is not the cause. The cause is the fallen nature within us that uh, the environment is used to shape and to form uh, that. So you'll find that in James. Uh, it's a very good passage to deal with. We'll, talk, we'll break it down next week and look at the uh, what James says about it. You'll see that the same characteristics that i t- spoken about in the DMS uh, uh, manual uh, you'll see that James talks about some of those same very characteristics uh, in that passage. A question from a listener in relation to the young man uh, talking to the young woman. Uh, Pastor, how long should a young person know, the, a young man know a young woman before he proposes to her? Long enough to be very sure that you're not making a mistake. If that takes a year, take a year it takes more than that and I would say uh, part of the whole process of uh, getting to know a person is not only talking to that person and communicating but get to meet the family get to go to the home get to see what the situation is really like uh, I think it's a fatal mistake and the, the, the other thing I would advise to anybody who's going to do not get involved physically hmm. the moment you get involved physically it's a physical relationship and every time you meet you don't discuss real issues it's physical so uh, but take time uh, and you look at the, the divorce statistics today and you realize that even within the church it's about 50-50 you don't want to be a, 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 a statistical uh, casualty of the, on the divorce um, list so you want to make sure that you don't make the, the and the other thing I would say uh, there's so many other things but this one is uh, discuss expectations discuss expectations what are you expecting of me so that you're very 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 clear uh, what the person wants and you explain to them what you want out of the marriage as well discuss finances who's going to handle the finances discuss in-laws how what in part in-laws are going to play uh, discuss personality differences and stuff like that uh, are you sure you're not overthinking this pastor no I'm not overthinking <laughs> I wish that people look my generation we probably did not need counseling we were settled when we got married we married for life this is not the generation this generation goes in they say you know what if it doesn't make I'll jump ship and I can always remarry mm. 
easy divorce, easy remarriage. And a lot of people are going into this thing without spending some time, real quality time, making sure they're actually going to to, uh, to get in the right person. Very good, very practical advice. On the other end of the spectrum, can you spend too much time before you get married? Yeah, I think you can drag on and drag on, and the the the, uh, the girl loses hope and realizes nothing. I think I'm, I know of a situation like that really, uh, where I felt that um, something could have been done, and in both cases, two nice girls, really nice girls, that the person could have married them. They didn't marry them. The girls are now married. The person is still not married that could have married them. And I thought that they were not giving enough hope and they just drag on and drag on and drag on and drag on. When it comes to like that and you when if you decide to get engaged, it should not last more than a year to be you should come to that stage. But if you're engaged for two and three and four years, it's almost seen as a hopeless situation. Thank you for listening to That's Truth tonight. Be sure that you join us next week as we will continue this topic or wrap up this topic of narcissism. If you have a question that you would like answered on That's Truth, you can send it to us via WhatsApp or text even during the week. one 782 1454 Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and can... Continue to encourage others to listen to CRL. Make sure that you join us next Tuesday evening. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.